Hello and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 26. I'm one of your hosts, Hector Marrero. And I'm Kip Clark. Today's topic is, what is the purpose of art? Should it be political? Should it create empathy? Should it provide a different perspective? So I bring this question up today, Kip, because I want to talk about it with you. I see that there's an oversaturation on places like YouTube. Let me just think of an example. Uh, if you go on YouTube, there are a lot of hit music videos, those that have hundreds of millions of views. Usually those videos are accompanied with tons of parody videos where somebody will dress up as the singer and perform poorly, you know, make a big show out of mocking the music. But I don't know. I, I'm just going to throw it out to you. Should art be political? Let's just say that. Well, I think first, for the sake of our conversation, we should, and I mean you and I, define art as we think it makes sense, not necessarily in the correct dictionary definition or even politically or beyond this studio. But to me, art is something that is voluntarily and purposefully created to elicit a reaction. I think that can constitute a book or a movie, literature, visual art, even music. But I'm not a huge fan of the route people take when they stumble upon something and say, oh, look at this arrangement of sticks. It's, it's art because I don't think that it is necessarily unless someone purposefully made that structure or that item or that piece. But how do you define art before we get into what reactions it should create? I think it's a difficult question being asked what art is. I suppose I would start by saying art is usually a useless object. It's usually framed in some sort of way. So if it's a movie, it's framed within the, the screen. If it's in a museum, it's framed in the context of the museum or the actual frame that it's put in. Um, it's usually useless, but also, as you said, I would agree, it helps you see something differently or provides a perspective or shows you something that you haven't seen before because it's not available in your experience. Right, I agree. So what is the first thing that you want to tackle in terms of the question that you brought? What would you like us to examine first? The reason I brought up this topic was for a few reasons. One, I see our generation, that is the generation between the 80s through the 2000s, are very media savvy people. And with that media savviness, there's also a lot of information that is in our heads. We, we, are, we know a lot more. But I think also there is this drive where a lot of young people have an urge to be artists of some sort. There are a lot of people who want to be actors. And again, when I say a lot of people, I say this from the American context, and I say this from the New York City and Kenyan context, which I have been brought up in. There are a lot of actors, there are a lot of artists, a lot of filmmakers, and with that comes a lot of content. I also see, while reading the newspaper, that you have pieces of art nowadays that are very narcissistic, not just narcissistic, but also they're solely for the money. I think the biggest example of this is the blockbuster film, where hundreds of millions of dollars go into a single piece of what you can call, let's call it art, but for the purpose of then gaining that money back. This is also existent in the art world with an example such as Jeff Koons, 
who created this balloon dog, which then became very widely advertised and spoken about in the New York Times and all other sorts of media, and then sold for something like $100 million. So I see that there's narcissism and money have come into play in the art world, as well as an oversaturation of what, you know, we can call art. And so it's difficult to breach the subject because it's so broad and it's so big. So I guess the first question I'm going to ask is, should art create empathy? Well, I think that art historically has been created in a lot of ways to bridge human understanding. I think that can also be described as empathy. I think it's interesting that you bring up narcissistic art because I think it separates us in a lot of ways and sort of pushes us apart. I, I don't really enjoy seeing selfies of my friends. It doesn't do anything to help me see their perspective. In fact, it's showing me my perspective again. I know what their faces look like because I've seen them, and it's not helpful to me. I think that narcissism isn't necessarily the most artistic thing because it doesn't give anything a new perspective or a new light. It doesn't really help me to think about something in a new way. And I think that socially maybe narcissistic pictures have a place, but I don't really think in art they do although I'm glad that you brought them up because I think they lend well to this conversation. In terms of empathy and in terms of the history that I mentioned earlier, historically, not many people were artists or those who were were well-trained. I think it was a specific craft. You had a mentor or someone who was going to teach you art. You spent long hours helping that person, and there were these workshops and craftsmen and craftswomen at a certain point who taught and who helped people learn how to do that craft. And I think that it made a very specific group of people in society very skilled in art and creating. You have Leonardo da Vinci, you have Michelangelo, you have Botticelli, you have Rembrandt, and of course these are all from a similar period in history, but of course art dates back to human existence in its beginnings. But I think throughout that period of history, art has been created to represent feelings from that time. I think Michelangelo's David shows a certain preoccupation, and I don't believe it's a negative one, with the human body, maybe even specifically with the male body and how its musculature works and how that stance operates and how someone looks when they're not standing vertically. When they have this contrapposto stance and are sort of misaligned, it's interesting to see and I think that it makes people feel things. In a sense, it does bring us back to that time. So great art, especially art that survives, creates not only empathy, but empathy between people that might never meet one another because certainly I wasn't alive in Renaissance Italy Nonetheless, I still find that art very valuable. And I'd be curious to know, going off of that, to what extent you think art captures time? Do you think it's a time capsule, in a sense? And if it is a time capsule, maybe what things it's encapsulating? Yeah, this past semester I took this class in philosophy of film, and I think we spoke about this one guy who I'm going to say was is named Wartofsky. And Wartofsky speaks about how the history of art is usually seen as a history of how humans have been able to, as time has progressed, more accurately represent what humans look like and also what the world looks like. So if you look at paintings from medieval times, for example, the perspective is off. You'll have buildings which are, you can guess, are supposed to be miles away, but people are as tall as, you know, the spires. But he argues that the history of art is actually the history of how humans have seen things. And little by little, we have, we being human beings, have figured out ways to more accurately portray how it is that we perceive things. So, for example, it was some, at one point, somebody realized that in a painting, putting a little dot of white in the eye 
would more accurately show a face that looked realistic. So going to your question, I think that the history of art is valuable because, and it is something of a time capsule, because it literally is a package of how people saw the world at one point in time and how, through the materials they had, were able to respond to that and then create something that they wanted to make. I, you, know, you mentioned the statue of David by Michelangelo. One interesting thing about that statue is that, I don't know if the proportions are off, but if you look at his hands and feet, they're enormous. They're huge hands and feet. His eyes are also gigantic, but when you see it from the floor and you see it from looking up at it, it looks proportionally correct. So there are all these little tricks, or even more incredibly, you think about the Greek temples, which were made in such a way as to look as though they were completely uniform in size. However, they got thicker as they went up, which is incredible. These minds were already thinking about these things. They were already using whatever tools they had in hand to make this aesthetic, this look. So thinking about Greece, since we're talking about Greece right now, I also start thinking about Greek politics and I'm curious as to whether you think that art should be political. Well, I think that historically it has been used politically. I personally don't think that it should be used politically. I think it sort of warps certain spaces, and I think that, again, personally, they should stay separate. They don't have to be, but I think that's what I would like in my ideal world. But, of course, it's been used that way before. We have those famous Uncle Sam posters in which that fictitious figure is pointing out at you and saying, I want you to join the army, and of course that's been spoofed a hundred times, or Rosie the Riveter. I think in a lot of times, images evoke a certain response in people. We see these colorful figures who can be drawn or sculpted any way that the artist intends to show a certain characteristic or trait and make them seem almost superhuman but still relatable. Art is powerful like that, but I think that also makes it dangerous. So personally, I wish that art were not politically charged because I enjoy seeing what an artist intended just as his or her own musings and thoughts and perspective of how the world, like you talk about art representing human perspective, I think that's fascinating and valuable. I think politics changes that. And that maybe there are, let's say, fascist pieces of art, which might be interesting, but when I have the knowledge that it's been used to alter human history or affect people en masse, I get a bit uncomfortable because I don't think it's art for art's sake anymore, which I know doesn't have a practical value per se, but I think life is about enjoyment and experience, and to me, art is great because it is just about that experience, what each individual gets from what the artist created. Often there's a disconnect. Maybe you create a painting that I don't fully understand, but that I do appreciate for certain reasons of my own, and you know, vice versa. And so I think that's why art is interesting, and I don't think politics always occupies the same space. It can get very tense, although I'm sure... <laughs> artists could testify to the tension that happens between artists and in art itself but do you think art should be politically used or, or can it be in maybe a less dramatic way than I'm discussing? I don't think that art should be mainly political. Yes I think that art can be used for political means but I think that it's usually a to 
drive people to think a certain thing. And I'll come up with a few examples for that. Actually, let me just talk about that. For one, you have the uh, Obama change poster recently, like relatively recently in our history, which was made by Shepard Ferry, who's very famous for making those Obey posters, which I may have spoken about in another one of our podcasts. But you also have in the past a lot of art that was made politically because it was the politicians who had the money and what do they usually want to do is they either want to elevate themselves up to a a godly status or just want to be remembered so for example when we think about Michelangelo he was known throughout Italy to be a great sculptor a great artist and he was sought after but a lot of the people who sought him out including very famous families like the Medici they wanted to build churches in their own honor so they would ask Michelangelo and sometimes threaten him by canceling out other uh, contracts which he really wanted to do they would ask him to make essentially churches that would celebrate themselves. You have another example where you have this, I think it's a Greek statue of this commander named Trebonianus. And it's it's a very funny statue because you could tell he's like this huge guy, but he was already old when he asked for this sculpture to be made. So his face is very old, but it's done in the heroic nude fashion. But the sculptor wasn't very good at making it look realistic because his shoulders are way too big the body clearly doesn't look like it's his and it looks more comical i'm gonna actually go back to that for a second but the last example i want to bring up was there's this painting of george washington crossing the delaware and i don't know what that actually looked like but another purpose of art in a political sense is to create the image of a story, like to form the image of a story. And that George Washington crossing the Delaware was made sometime in the late 1800s, but it looks very heroic. George Washington is on the helm of this small boat crossing through the ice-ridden Delaware River, heading to battle. And it makes him look heroic. It makes him look more than human, which I think is done on purpose. But the great thing is too that, you know, people are intelligent and people can look at these pieces of art and say this is ridiculous or you know say you know this isn't what truly happened you know people can compare to the actual history maybe the Delaware crossing was not as heroic looking maybe they were all freezing in that boat or with the Trebonianus whatever however it is you pronounce his name he looks comical and he clearly wanted to make himself look like something more than he was that being a heroic person who could probably fight in battle but it looks like an old man's head on top of a young person's body. It looks strange. So yeah, I do think that political art can be subversive. I don't think art should be only used politically because that has dangerous implications. But I also have trust in people to look at these pieces of art and look at them not and not just observe absorb them, but to think of them critically, which I think is great. So to close off the episode, Kip, um, this is a pretty short episode. I want to ask you, do you have any piece of art that is a favorite of yours that you really like? It could be a, a painting in a museum or a film that you really like. And maybe why is it that you are a fan? Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Pantheon in Rome. It was created, I believe, three times. It was destroyed twice and rebuilt each time. And the Pantheon has this really great oculus at the top of its dome. It's just yeah. this opening that it's awesome. allowed for. And yeah, you've been to Rome, so you, you have some perspective, I'm sure. It allows for, in the nighttime, that is, starlight and, and moonlight to sort of seep in. And of course, during the daytime, 
actual daylight to get into the building and within that dome it actually the building could hold a sphere of the same size which i think is something like 130 meters across or something like that in diameter i'm not entirely sure but it just seemed like a beautiful building i've only seen pictures i would like to go to rome someday to visit it in person but the oculus i just find amazing because i know domes structurally rely on some sort of pressure for support at the top that each side of the dome is pushing on the other and keeping it from collapsing in on itself but the fact that the romans used concrete i believe and to my recollection lighter rocks or pieces types of stone as they moved up the dome but just the science that went into building the pantheon and the ingenuity that the romans used to construct it and obviously it's still around today it was used i believe as a senate building at some points and i think now it's just sort of a museum but i just find it to be fascinating i think it's a really really great piece of art awesome thank you but of course, Kip and I are only two voices in this conversation, and we hope that you, our listeners, can contribute as well. So feel free to reach us at any of these sources. Our Twitter is Stride and Saunter. Our Facebook account is simply Stride and Saunter. You can email us at strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And our website, which we'd love you to visit, is strideandsaunter.com. And as always, we thank you for listening and really appreciate it. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off. And this is Hector Marrero. Do your research.